What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the J-Ham Special, where I'll talk about Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40k, Dungeons and & Dragons, and other aspects of my nerdy life. My name is John. I'll be the host for this episode of Getting Started Saturdays. Getting Started is going to be focused on, at least for right now, Warhammer 40k Kill Team um, and how to get started into the game. The last episode, I highly recommend you check it out. It goes into depth of everything that you need to have for the game and a lot of the different resources you can find for free, but also some of the prices that you might have to pay in order to actually get the game going. Now, I talked about it in the sense of A Tale of Two Chapters was kind of my focus of being revamping that old episode that I did almost a year and a half ago. And honestly, I'm pretty excited to be able to bring this to you guys today. This one's going to be kind of a little bit of a deep dive for beginners from scratch on the Primaris Intercessors. In the episode, um, the previous one I talked about, that is the army that I would recommend everybody learn how to play the game with. I think they're a very good um, mix between shooty and fighty for a faction. They're pretty well-rounded. There's fewer model count, which makes them more of an elite army, and also makes them a little bit easier for newer players to understand and play. Not to mention with them being Primaris models, they do get some extra rules that will help you out later down the road, but um, we'll talk about that a little bit more into the episode itself. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Now if you're wanting to go bare bones basic and you want to build the Primaris Intercessors and learn the game from the most simplistic point of view that you can, I would highly recommend that you build your five Primaris Intercessors for your specific kill team to be kitted out with the standard bolt rifle. Standard bolt rifle is the most flexible option out of all three of the bolt rifle variants and you can put it on your sergeant and you can put it on all the rest of your squad. I'm just telling you this from the straight up. I, out of all the games I've played, and I play with all three variations, that standard bolt rifle goes a long way in actually taking down opponents. Outside of a few corner cases where it's actually better to take an auto bolt rifle, the stalker, not so much. The normal bolt rifle does a really, really good job at being flexible and allowing you to be tactical with your Marines. Now let's talk about the kill team itself. Space Marines have this weird little tendency to only allow you to take one fire team of Marines, which is kind of a bummer, but also really good for, I think, a lot of beginners, a lot of people that are not looking to have overwhelming customization rules. Time and time again, I heard a lot of people that were like, hey, I'm getting into the kill team, and they put some lists together, and they had no idea how to really list build for the game. It's almost as complex as telling somebody to build a commander deck for Magic the Gathering when they haven't even played the base game yet. And I think that the Compendium has done a great job at really making it easy for beginners to jump into the game and give it a go. Now, the Primaris Intercessor Kill Team um, is made up of one fire team of Primaris Intercessor. That team includes five models total. One of them will be your leader operative, and it will be your Intercessor Sergeant. The other operatives will be your Intercessor Warriors. The Intercessor Warriors and the uh, Sergeant had the following characteristics set up to them. They have a movement of three circle, which is actually equivalent to six inches. They have an APL of three, which is action point limit of three, so they can do three actions in a turn, provided each of those actions only cost one APL. They have a group activation of one, which means you just move one model and then your opponent gets to move another model and you get to move your one model and back and forth, back and forth. Essentially, it's one model at a time that you get to activate. They have a defense characteristic of three, meaning that you can roll three defense dice, which is pretty standard for, I think, every faction in the compendium. Mine is a couple corner cases. 
they have a save of 3F, which is really good. Um, it's better than a 50-50 shot, so your Space Marines are augmented just a little bit better compared to everybody else. And then finally, for the wounds, each of your Intercessor Warriors, they have 13 wounds available to them, or HP for a lot of you people that play other game systems, but your Sergeant has one extra, making him a 14-wound model. For those of you listeners that are not familiar with some of the lore in the 40k universe, and you're not really sure about like Space Marines or any of the rest of that stuff, um, Space Marines are also known as the Adeptus Astartes and the Low Gothic. They are genetically engineered humans that have multiple extra organs and different um, glands and, you know, other sensory organs and, you know, not appendages, but like different things that make them more more engineered than a normal man almost makes them as alien as the aliens they are forced to fight in the story they're like eight feet tall just the normal ones are and uh, they're extremely powerful compared to your standard man even without the power armor that they wear and the weapons that they wield they are more of a threat compared to I don't know, probably about five different guardsmen. Space Marines usually hail from a chapter, which is um, overall like their genetic makeup. It comes from one of the many different Primarchs, which are kind of like the, um, they're like demigods almost. Yeah, the Emperor of Mankind, which is what the Imperium of Mankind serves and treats as if they he is a god themselves. They call him the God Emperor. He sits on a golden throne. And he had several children known as the Primarchs, which essentially were the leaders and the genetic makeup of them went into the Space Marine chapters. So the things like the Ultramarines and the Blood Angels and the Iron Hands, um, they all were part of the genetic makeup of their Primarch. They followed that. Um, some of the different chapters, they end up turning over to Chaos, which is one of the bad guys. Actually, everybody's a bad guy in 40K, but for the Imperial Mankind, Chaos is one of the bad guys to you. They're corrupted, they're twisted, uh, and they're pretty much out for their own gain and not for the Imperium of Man. That's where if you're playing the Adeptus Astartes, you are playing Loyalist Marines to the Imperium of Mankind. And you could be playing one of the normal Firstborn chapters, uh, which are like the Ultramarines, which is your blue boys uh, that you see probably plastered all over art. You've got your yellow Imperial Fists, your red Blood Angels, your gray Space Wolves, green Salamanders, the white scars, which are like white, you know, you go down the list, you'll kind of figure out, okay, these are the colors, this is where they're at. So if you're making your paint scheme, you can keep it as simple as that, or you can also tweak the colors a little bit, maybe do a purple or a pink Space Marine chapter and make it your own successor chapter, which is um, essentially you take one of those firstborn chapters, like the Ultramarines, and you say, all right, well, these guys are actually using some of the genetic makeup of the firstborn Marines, and they're actually not them, they're actually a smaller force that can it kind of came off of them and that's the whole idea of successor chapters right now in the in the gameplay there is no like special rules uh, as far as what chapter you decide to play with so honestly just go nuts whatever space marine chapter you want to paint your guys and gals up into if you're doing space marine girls which lore wise i don't think it's possible but regardless if you decide to go that route paint your guys whatever you want them to be your marines if you want to pink paint that one i painted mine my very first one's orange and they end up becoming later down the road. I was like, well, they're Ultramarines. But I was like, ah, no, they're really Imperial Fists. I like them better. And they're actually a success for the Imperial Fists because there's not really very many orange Space Marines out there. But don't be afraid to make up your lore or whatever else you want them to be. I would say come up with a name of your Space Marine chapter or whatnot. But the idea of whenever you're picking up these boxes and you and your buddy or maybe you and somebody else that's going to be using this other starter kill team, 
that you're going to have two different chapters that are separate that will face off against each other. You might be thinking, well, aren't they loyalists? Don't they fight the Chaos guys and the Xenos guys? Yes, they do. But a lot of times due to bureaucracy or maybe slow, you know, a mix up, a tangle of wires or communication or whatever, or heck even maybe infiltration from other like Xenos or Chaos factions will sometimes pit Imperium forces against Imperium forces. So your successor chapter, Space Marines, your architects of will, the orange guys that I created, they maybe will fight um, the other loyalist Darksteel Astartes force. Because somebody in the Inquisition said, oh, these guys are actually heretics because we got reports that they're actually inflicted with the taint of chaos or whatever. Well, then that's maybe what what's going on there. And now your forces have to kind of fight off against each other. There's a bunch of lore narrative reasons and, and things that you can read up on to say, oh, well, this is why they might fight each other. So it's up to you to kind of decide on that one. But that is kind of the basic makeup that I would have for your guild team. And that's some of the basic kind of like behind the scene lore for those of you that don't know about the Adeptus of Stardays. Now, I do want to take a little bit of time and talk about when you're kitting your team out, if you don't want to just do the standard, everybody's got a bolt rifle, maybe I want to tweak and change some things, that's what this next one's going to be for you here. But if you're just getting started and you're putting your force together, I would recommend that you do a five-man squad, all kitted up with the bolt rifle, including the sergeant, and then the same thing with your other squad, make them another five-man squad, all kitted up with the bolt rifle. The difference between the rifles, really, is that the bolt rifle is kind of more of a precision weapon. I would almost think uh, think about, like, if you've ever played the Halo games, think of the DMR or the battle rifle. Uh, when you're playing with it, it's a pretty good weapon as far as shooting at your opponent and taking their shields away, but if you're able to get a headshot with it, aka a critical roll in this game, you actually do better damage. You take their shield down or you straight up kill them in a single shot in some cases, depending on if you're playing SWAT or Slayer or whatever it is in Halo. Same thing with the bolt rifle. It allows you to move pretty easily without any kind of drawbacks. It allows you to shoot your opponent. And then if you happen to get a critical roll, it actually activates a special critical role rule that allows you to then take away one of your opponent's defense dice, which more often than night pretty much spells death to whoever is defending against you. The auto bolt rifle is pretty decent. It's got pretty much the same stats as far as defense uh, or as far as damage goes uh, and the dice that you get to roll. The only difference is that when you're rolling your attack dice, you actually get to re-roll any of the ones that you get. Now, it doesn't take away the defense dice that your opponent has, but it gives you a better opportunity to potentially deal more damage to your opponent because you're rolling more dice and you're re-rolling your dice if you happen to fail hitting them in the first place. Now, there's certain rules that you can play, strategic poise, which I'll talk about here in a little bit, that kind of make it a moot point to do so, but that is an option for you with the auto bolt rifle, and that's kind of like my second place choice. And the stalker bolt rifle, it's decent enough. Um, it's a lot better in this edition of Kill Team compared to 40k and compared to the last edition of Kill Team, which I just said, hey, never take the stalker in the past. Now it's a, well, you can throw one on your list and you'll probably be okay. Stalker bolt rifles, they are a heavy weapon. They're the heavy variant of the same bolt rifle. It's still firing the same shells and stuff as far as I know. It's just got a different um, bullet velocity as far as like recoil or, you know, just the weight of the weapon itself. And um, it's got the heavy keyword, which means that you cannot move more than blue square or three inches with your model in the turn. So I talked about earlier that Space Marines normally move six inches or three circle. If you're carrying this weapon, you cannot shoot your heavy weapon if you've moved more than the 
blue square or three inches. You're taking away half of your movement characteristic for your Space Marine, and so that really kind of sucks. Now, it's not the end of the world. You can still move that three inches, then shoot somebody with them, and it has a special rule that you don't have to get a critical hit. You just, any shot that you make, you automatically make your opponent take away one of the defense dice with that armor piercing characteristic of one. And so it is a pretty decent weapon, but for simplicity's sake and for learning the game and actually kind of feeling out that, oh, actually getting a critical hit makes it a whole lot better or makes me feel really good when I get a crit outside of, oh, I just have a little bit extra damage I can deal. I, that's where I think the bolt rifle is probably the best option as being the most flexible and the most tactical of the rifles. And honestly, if you have one team that's all full of bolt rifles, another team that's all full of bolt rifles, you'll be on an even playing field and you'll really learn how the weapons and how the shooting action does work for the game. And that's why I recommend that. You'll probably also find that sergeants can take a lot more than just a bolt rifle if you want to. Things like special pistols and things like special melee weapons. Unfortunately, if you're just buying the box of Primaris Intercessors, you might get a bolt pistol, but you will not get any of the close combat weapons that you probably want to have on your sergeant if you're running a pistol type weapon. Now, I'm going to talk about that kind of in the next section here, but you don't have that one. So your sergeant is pretty much going to have the same exact loadout outside of that extra wound he gets he's pretty much going to be just like the rest of your other Space Marine Warriors. So that's how I would kit out your five guys is five intercessors all equipped with bolt rifles to learn how to play the game and kind of use as your starting forces. And this is really good for a lot of new players to jump into. It's straightforward, it's simplistic, and it is what I use to teach new people how to play Kill Team. Now that you know some of the ways you can kind of build your list and maybe even tune them specifically, it's kind of up to you to decide on how you want your intercessors to really kind of play out overall. And the reason that, you know, you're going to look at the different bolt guns there, that is one big part of your list building. But the other one is understanding the models themselves. And I've heard a lot of players talk about, you know, understanding the chassis that your model is. I feel that this was extremely important last edition, but it's still fairly important this edition. Understanding the capabilities of your model as far as those static and consistent things that do not require dice rolls, that's the big part that you gotta look at here. Now, so all of your Marines, they are equipped um, with their bolt guns, unless you choose your sergeant to have otherwise, and a lot of them have different equipment you can throw onto them as well. The basic stat line though, they have a movement characteristic of three circle. So three circle effectively means that they get to move two inches three different times. So they have a six inch normal move that they can do. This is pretty consistent across the board with a lot of different um, factions, and a lot of different armies that are out there. Unlike some like the Death Guard who are a little bit slower and I believe the Necrons are a bit slower too. Necrons is a force that I'm kind of looking at getting into, but I just have not yet. I want to get another Xenos faction to be able to kind of play, because right now I've got Orcs and Heretics to kind of go against my Imperium boys, um, and I like to kind of, kind of flesh things out that route too, but I'm not entirely sure yet. Outside that movement, they also do have a APL, or Action Point Limit, of three, meaning that they can do essentially three actions on each one of their activations, which in my opinion is huge. It was makes Space Marines really set themselves apart from other factions. And with the nerf to Custodes, I feel like this can actually help your Space Marines be a little bit better when it comes down to looking at your total playing field. Being able to have the ability to move and then shoot and then dash into cover again 
is going to be instrumental to your space marines. And not to mention with other strategic ploys and tactical ploys, things like bolt discipline, which allows you to shoot twice, that's going to become really nice for your team overall. Now that's tactics. I'm not going to talk about that here. Let's continue on with the data sheet itself. Your guys each have a grouped activation of one, meaning that you get to move one model, do all their stuff, then your opponent gets to do their stuff. You then move another one of your model, and then they do all their stuff. It's one model at a time, and I think this is great for beginners because it's not going to overwhelm you with saying, okay, well, which you know model should I move around? As somebody who plays um, Astro Militarum, looking at the normal guardsman trooper profile where you have a group activation of two, it made things a little bit complicated whenever I said, oh, well, I want to do a normal guardsman, but now I want to try to move a gunner. That doesn't work. And to a beginner player, I feel like that can be a pitfall for some of them that maybe don't understand how the game works entirely. And it might be the same case for you. You might be very adept. You might pick up on games very well, and that's great. But for a lot of newer players getting into these things, and if you're brand new to skirmish or wargaming at all, you might have a little bit of a hard time on the tactics side of things. But don't worry. I'll talk a little bit about tactics in a little bit. But group activation one actually can be really good for a lot of beginners, and I think it's a great way to go if you're just starting out. And kind of one of the reasons I recommend Space Marines for a lot of new players anyway. Now, your intercessors also have a defense die of three, meaning that whenever they're getting shot at uh, by an opponent, you get to roll three defense dice to effectively see if you counteract those shots. Three is pretty standard um, across all the forces, and uh, it, it's kind of a common denominator for just about every force, and the reason why AP weapons are really good. If you get rid of those defense dice, it's going to work out better for you. I'll talk more about that in a second in the tactics side of things, but Defense 3, nothing really too big to kind of shout at or write home about. You got a 3-up save, so each time you roll those defense dice, if you get a 3 or better on them, your Space Marine's not going to get taken some wounds. Now, of course, you still need critical hits to counter critical hits, but just know that any normal save that's going out there, you only got to roll a 3, so you got better than a 50-50 shot at actually getting her done. You actually have more of an equivalent of a 66% chance of making sure that every time you roll a dice, you're going to be protecting your Marine from getting some wounds dealt to them. Then finally, your normal intercessor warriors, um, so the four guys on your team, they're going to have wounds of 13. Your sergeant is going to have a wound of 14 because they're your leader, they're your sergeant, they get one extra uh, wound added to them. And those are the data sheets. That's the makeup of each individual model. I am going to make sure to um, have that linked in a picture. Uh, for those of you that don't want to go to sketchy websites or maybe you don't have the compendium, don't want to drop 50 bucks just to play some intercessors and try it out, look at Jham's special Twitter page. I will make sure to have those pictures put onto this episode's link for you guys. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about tactics. Now, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people have issues with, with the Space Marines and Intercessors specifically, but a lot of the five model count Space Marine groups that are out there, you're going to have a bad time if you're not playing tactfully. These guys are not ones you can charge into the fray and hope they come out every single time. You need to be a little bit more careful with them. And honestly, your Space Marine Intercessors, they're a prime example of what I would define as a gunline army that can actually still somewhat do okay if they get into a fist fight. What I mean by this is that they're each equipped with their bolt guns and they 
your sergeant can have a melee weapon, but all the rest of your other guys have fists. So is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, their fists are more powerful compared to, you know, what you might find on other models. You know, your guardsmen with their um, bayonets, they're not going to stack up to a space marine fist. Um, so they can still deal some damage if they get wrapped up in combat, but that's not where you want to be. You want to try and use your intercessors from a range. Now, I think one of the biggest things tactic-wise that I've seen a lot of new players that have had an opportunity to teach the game, and even myself, um, whenever I started playing the game, being a bit too cagey with your models. Now, you're going to have to just know that in Kill Team, things do die. Just like the 40k universe, you are going to lose models. Not always, but it does happen. So what I would highly recommend that you do is don't be afraid to push up. One of the worst things you can do is keep your models all within your deployment zone and just hoping that, hey, my opponent's going to poke their head out to actually shoot at them. No, one of the best things you get to do as a Space Marine player is the ability to outflank and outmaneuver your opponent. Now, 3 APL I was talking about earlier, I mentioned the ability to do a normal move, <clears throat> shoot somebody, and then dash. This is a very easy, common tactic that I've seen, and I've also deployed myself as a Space Marine player, be it my Tactical Marines that I've kind of mained as my primary force that I play with, um, but also with the Intercessors that I have played with as well too. It's been a really good blast to be able to say, I'm gonna move this guy up six inches. I'm gonna fire on your enemy operative for myself. Like, so if I'm gonna fire another Heretic of Star Days or another Space Marine, if you're doing my Tale of Two Chapters idea from the previous episode I talked about, you're gonna have some pretty good opportunities to roll some dice and get some hits on your opponent. And then you get to use a dash. So you're moving another three inches or blue circle into some cover, you know, be it light terrain or maybe obscuring terrain, you're going to use that to your advantage because you're a Marine, if you're shooting, you're going to be in the engaged rule. So that's one of the biggest things I can tell you, not just with Space Marines, but any force that you play in Kill Team, that's going to be a good mindset to have is don't be afraid to get stuck in. Where you're going to die is if you stay in your deployment zone and just hoping that you can pick out shots on your opponent. You have to be proactive when it comes to kill team. And if you want your guys to live, you've got to kill your enemy's operatives who are also looking to kill your guys. Now, where I've seen a lot of newer players, and even with myself, whenever I did some sad hammer for my first few games, is that whenever I sat my own guys back, first of all, I wasn't playing the objective. I was having a hard time with that. Your Space Marines, your wounds are essentially one and a half humans, you know? Uh, most like guardsmen and stuff, they usually have seven or eight-ish wounds when it comes to like your standard bog humans that are out there. Your space marine, your basic intercessor, has 13 wounds. Now let me put this in some perspective for you. If your opponent wants to use a weapon like a las gun or a auto gun or auto pistol against you, they essentially, even if they were to hit all four of their shots and all four of their shots were critical hits and you were not able to save a single one, so essentially they deal 12 wounds of damage to you, they're still not gonna kill your basic intercessor. And this is extremely powerful. The fact that you can kind of move your guys up, and even if you're in a terrible, pos terrible position, even if they decided to outflank you by some form or fashion, even if they got all crits, they're not gonna be able to do anything to you. Now, let's make it a little bit more realistic. You're probably gonna be rolling some saves. You know, whether or not you're in cover and they're you know, getting those crits off and you're retaining one save and then you're rolling another good save because you got a three up save, 
you're not really going to lose wounds as fast as you might think. So it's okay to kind of move up, but use cover to your advantage. And to some of you that feel like, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't sound very lore accurate. Why would a space marine be covering behind barrels and stuff? Well, I'll tell you, for somebody who has read books and read into space marines and their tactical effectiveness, yes, they do use cover um, whenever they need to. And I highly recommend that you do for the purpose of kill team. Having cover, even light cover, will help you out with retaining one die um, and be able to roll off some other dies. So as you progress up and you actually take objectives, you need to make sure that you're staying proactive, shooting at your opponent's models, because if you're whittling down their team, it's gonna help you out in the long run. And then make sure to take those primary objectives whenever you can. When you stay in your deployment zone and just simply play the reactive game, here's what happens, what actually happens. Your opponent starts moving up the board and they're being proactive. Maybe they have a five-man team. Maybe they were your buddy that decided to split the uh, $60 intercessor box and you got five and they got five. Maybe that's what you guys went ahead and did. If that's the case, then you guys are in a pretty even playing field and whatever mistakes they're making, you can capitalize on and whatever mistakes you're making, they can capitalize and you learn together. But let's say, say you're playing against somebody who's maybe a little more seasoned, somebody who has played kill team and they're progressing up the board. Now, their five-man team, even if they're playing Space Marines, they're then using that tactic where they are normal moving, they're getting into range of you, and you have your model just sitting there doing deadly, and they're able to shoot at you, and they're able to dash behind cover, or otherwise, they're able to shoot at you, and maybe they played a strategic ploy like Boulder Discipline, where they now get to fire again, and they pop off more shots at you. You're down one of your five models, and that's the biggest thing I've got to say here is that when you lose a model as a Space Marine Intercessor on your team, that is a huge hit. It takes away a lot of your tactical effectiveness, it takes away a lot of your firepower each turn, and it can really harm your game overall. So if you're playing and you're able to take out one to two models each one of the turns, and your opponent has a five-man team, or heck, maybe they're playing a little bit more of a squishy horde-type team, like maybe the Astro Militarum, or maybe Chaos Cultists, or Demons, or, you know, whatever their flavor of the month is, then you're able to take some of those ones out and protect your Space Marines from getting fired upon from those dead models. So take advantage of initiative and take advantage of being proactive. Don't be afraid to get stuck in. And honestly, this is my number one goal to any player, period. Whether or not you're playing the Intercessors, whether or not you're playing Scions, whether or not you're playing um, Orcs or whatever you decide to go. I feel like Orc players easily get stuck in a lot of the times. Um, that's just naturally how they like to play. But anyway, that's my biggest point of advice to you is go ahead and make sure that you are playing aggressively and playing tactfully, but being proactive with your movements. Make sure that when you have an opportunity to go nab an objective, you do it. Make sure that whenever you have an opportunity to shoot your opponent, then do that. And take advantage of that 3 APL because that's going to help you out tremendously that if you can move, shoot and kill your opponent, and then duck behind some cover to avoid getting shot up by one of your other opponent's models or operatives, that's going to help out you just tremendously. Now, as far as the game overall, another thing I would say to you is try to have at least one model take advantage of vantage points. This is the main reason that I have a Stalker bolt rifle um, Space Marine anyway, is to just make sure that I have somebody who can be posted up on a roof and then be able to deal some major damage to my opponent. Now, they're still rolling four dice, just like all the rest of other Space Marines who have bolt rifle variations. Um, but the big difference is that they don't have to have a crit in order to actually deal that AP1 to my opponent. So whether or not they are behind cover, whether or not they are, um, you know, sitting there or not, heavy roll, not really going to affect me if my guy's just hanging out on cover. 
This can be still done though with your bolt rifles. Your standard bolt rifles, if you happen to get a six on any of those shots, your weapon then becomes an AP1 weapon. So you take away one of your opponent's defense dice. And if your opponent is sitting in cover, which chances are they're probably gonna have some guy sitting in cover, use that vantage point to your ability. Yes, they're still behind cover, but because they are visible now, and technically because you are in an advantage point, you're turning them into an engage order, and now you can fire upon them and make yourself a pretty good just dead eye with taking them out. You put them in a hard situation where they have to decide, okay, well, they've taken away one of my dice with either a critical roll for my bolt rifle or their stalker bolt rifle, just naturally. Now, the advantage of being in cover in the game normally is that, hey, I get to retain one of my dice automatically. The downside for them is that if they automatically retain their dice, if you took another one of their defense dice away, which for the majority of all kill teams out there, they have a defense dice of three, you now make it so that way they have two defense dice. They get to keep one of them as a just normal save. But if you got any critical hits, they have to then make the decision of, well, do I want to try and roll both of these dice to see if I happen to get a critical hit chance, which could lead to my failure? Or do I just keep this one, roll another one, and potentially just get rid of two normal hits or get rid of one critical hit with both my retained dice? You make them have to make the hard decision, and you're taking away some of that defensive capability with a vantage point. I feel like vantage points are huge in the game, and you shouldn't have too many on your board, but if you are, take advantage of them at least with one model. And I would say with the Space Marines, treat that model as if he is like your sniper. Now, if your opponent's gotten wise to it there, they might take your sniper out. You know, if there's if you're up on a um, one of like the Sector Minotaurum crates that you see oftentimes that, you know, are in different kits and everything or different people's game boards, like what I have, they might be sitting up there and they have a vantage point, but they have no cover whatsoever. So know that that's a risk and a reward sort of thing that you got to worry about because they could shoot back at you and you have no cover whatsoever. But just know that use your vantage point to take out some of those concealed models that your opponent wants to keep alive. A few of the things that I would say target um, is melee operatives. Now, if you have um, somebody and they have their aspired champion for the Heretic Stardust team, and they have a power fist and they're looking to be concealed right now, and they're gonna move their way up on the board to go take out your leader because they have the headhunter secondary operation or whatever, try to target them. You don't want those melee guys getting stuck up into your line. Your gun line needs to be protected. And if you can take out those melee threats and essentially bring your opponent down on either to the same power level as your melee, or worse power level to your melee, that's a good place to be at. That's where if you're playing the stalker bolt rifle, make that guy your, um, essentially your vantage point sniper. They don't have the concealed rules, so you do have to be engaged, and that does open you up for the ability to get shot with them, which kind of makes sense. You're a giant space marine with a huge old bolt rifle. Um, but don't be afraid to do that if you can, and try to take advantage of those from there. Make them kind of your designated marksman and say, listen, your job is to take out the models that can screw me up in um, close combat or take out those high value models, things that have maybe plasma rifles or have you know, grenade launchers or other sniper rifles or whatever you deem fit, try to make that work. If you're running a normal bolt gun guy, then that's fine. Say you're the designated marksman for now. If you happen to lose one of them, then go ahead and call upon one of your other space marines, then hop on that vantage point and start plucking away some shots. Essentially, a vantage point is anything you and your opponent has deemed a vantage point, and an effective vantage point is one that you can put your model up on top of, and as long as they are taller than two inches from your enemy operative you're targeting, or just white circle, 
you effectively have taken away their concealment order and turned them into an engage order to make it so you can shoot them. Just one pro tip that it took me a little bit to kind of figure out, and thank you Reddit for helping me out with this one, but if your opponent is behind heavy terrain, because the obscuring rule, you still can't shoot them if you're an advantage point. But if your opponent's behind light terrain, like one of the barricades that you have in the kill team set, or maybe um, another little, you know, small little model that you can kind of move things around, that's really what you're wanting to look for. So you might be thinking to yourself now, okay, perfect. Well, I understand, you know, I'm a gunline army. You know, I want to try and make sure I'm shooting people. I don't want to get in close combat. Use vantage points to take out some high value targets. Have one designated marksman, you know. You, you kind of understand maybe the, some of those tactics. Or maybe you're going to put them in effect. Great. The next one here is something that you can kind of tune and tweak. And it's going to come with you understanding the game a little bit. As I've played the game, compared to similar like last editions, something I always looked at was the idea of trying to stay out of rapid fire range of my opponent's weapons. So if somebody's got a las gun, you try to stay out of rapid fire range. If somebody's got a bolt gun, you try to stay out of rapid fire range. You don't necessarily want to get caught up in your opponent's rapid fire range because if so, that's just them getting an extra shot off on you. So how do you do this? What's the rapid fire range or what's the concept um, for the kill team now? I would say six or eight inches for your specific squad. Anybody think to yourself, well, why do you say that, John? Well, six inches, if you're playing against somebody who's playing a pistol-heavy army. army. So, somebody like, I don't know, Harlequins, uh, somebody like that's running a bunch of leaders, maybe uh, an orc player that's playing with a bunch of little slot, slugga choppa combos. Um, that might be a good idea to say, hey, listen, let's, let's avoid being in a six inch range of my opponent. Now, granted, your opponent can still move and still shoot and still maybe even dash at you, depending on who you have. But if you can avoid the six inch range, that's a good place to be at. But I would even say go as far as to avoid eight inches. And this is why. Eight inches is kind of the rapid fire range because most models in the game have a six inch or three circle movement. When you charge, you can charge your enemy operative that you're looking to get stuck into engagement range, aka fighting area. If you're charging, that's called then's fighting words. Um, that's that's the part that you need to be worried about is eight, because you essentially tack on two inches or one white circle to whatever your normal move is. If you can do that, then you can get your guy into engagement range and then start fighting. As I mentioned earlier on the very first point, don't be afraid to get up you know, and get take some primary objectives and everything, but avoid your opponent, play tactfully, you don't want to lose a space marine. The fight step is huge. It's very swingy, and even if you think you have the upper hand, your opponent might have a better upper hand than you. With most models having that three circle or six inch range, they effectively have an eight inch charge range or four white circle. If you can avoid being in, within that four white circle, they're not going to be able to get within engagement range, and that's still going to give you an opportunity to play tactfully and fall back a little bit to then still fire upon them without having to worry about getting charged. That's where you want to kind of ebb and flow the battle with pushing up as soon as you can and then moving your models back whenever you can as well. You're playing the flow or the current of the game. You are moving your models up. You're taking some primary objectives. Maybe you're able to get some of your secondary objectives, which I'll talk about later. Um, you may be able to get some of those done themselves, but try to focus on not letting your models die and then kill your opponent's models. And you're gonna do this best whenever you are staying out of their eight inch range. 
Now, the way the charge rule or the charge action works is that you cannot perform it in the same turn that you do a dash, fall back, or normal move. So you've effectively locked in, hey, my opponent cannot get within engagement range or within one inch of me and fight me if they can't get within eight inches. Now, this will take away a lot of your pistol opponents that want to go through and say, I right, gotta be within six inches for me, shoot ya. But it'll help keep you safe to say, listen, I'm not within eight inches of the model, the closest enemy operative that I'm within. They're not going to be able to charge me, but I have unlimited range. I can shoot my rifle. That will still allow me to go take some primary objectives. will help me get onto vantage points. It's going to help me out tremendously with getting my models into a good position to then fire upon my opponent, take out some enemy operatives, but not have to worry about them charging back and hitting me. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe my opponent doesn't want to charge either. Maybe they're playing a gunline army. Maybe they're playing towel or something else. That's fine. They're probably not going to want to charge you. They're going to fire on you. That's why you have to use cover and, you know, obscuring terrain wherever you can. But your opponent can't charge you. That takes away one of their vital pieces of being able to attack you and really kill you, regardless of who the model is. And I don't really think this is a concept that's been talked a lot um, by other kill team players. And maybe I'm in the wrong here. Maybe there's a lot of people that spend a lot more time playing Tabletop Simulator online in um, different discords or channels and stuff along those lines. But I feel like that this is something from my games that has proven to be pretty a pretty good tactic to go by, especially for a beginner. Make sure that you're not within eight inches. Make sure you're not within that four white circle because even if your opponent does a normal move and then gets themselves into a flanking position to shoot you, you're still not going to be able to be charged by them and you still might be able to be behind some cover pretty easily. This is where you're going to have to change your game plan at depending on who you're playing. You know, if you're playing something like the Guardsmen who only have an APL of two, they can only move and then shoot. Or they have to move and then dash and then hopefully next turn they can roll around to initiative and get to fire first upon you and they're taking the risk themselves. It's it's a really, it's a, not a 50-50 shot, it kind of is, but it's up in the air of who's actually going to be able to um, shoot first and fight first and all the rest of that too when it comes down to initiative. The more times you can take those rolls out of the game, the better off you're going to be. And this was the magical number from the last edition. Um, it was eight inch charges. If you were able to do that, you had a pretty good shot. Because if I remember correctly, that was actually the average. If you were to actually stack all the dice up there and then the results you can roll with the different movement characteristics that came with charging in the old edition, you could get up to a 12 inch charge. Chances are you probably weren't. Eight inches is probably closer to what your opponent was gonna have when they decided to charge at you. And could be a good reason as far as why the game developers decided to say, hey, let's make charges eight inches this time around because that's kind of the average that you get. And I think that's a good place to say, hey, I'm not in charging range. It's gonna help me out tremendously being intercessors. That's gonna help protect me and play tactfully as well. So let's go back over the bare bone basics again, or really the kind of good strategic things you can pull out your butt to make sure you don't lose your first few games of 40K, um, not 40K, kill team sorry have 40k on my mind a little bit but if you don't want to lose your first few games of kill team my advice points are as follows make sure that you are moving your models up appropriately don't keep them all in your deployment zone because effectively you just put yourself into a kill box and your opponent can shoot fish in a barrel you know you're not going to be able to really deal with the army that you're sitting here doing absolutely nothing 
they're moving, they're shooting at you, and then they're dashing behind cover, be it light cover or obscuring cover, making it impossible or difficult for you to actually shoot them back. Um, the next one is you want to make sure that you are using vantage points to your ability and make sure that whoever you have designated as your designated marksman or your quote-unquote sniper for the team, that they are able to actually target the VIP enemy operatives. Those are the things that want to get in close combat and tie you up and kill you that way. And then it's the special weapons that your opponent might have. After that, then focus on their bare bones, just basic trooper models. So that could be a normal tactical marine warrior or another primaris intercessor warrior. Or it could be just a normal guardsman with a gun or a cultist with a gun. Whatever you decide to play against or whoever you decide to play against, keep that in mind is take them down from that order. Get rid of those melee operatives that are going to give you a bad time for the next turn. Get rid of the special weapons that can kill your guys fairly easy. Things like plasma guns, things like uh, grenade launchers. Get rid of those and then focus on the other operatives. You should be trying to kill more models in your opponent team each turn than you are losing on your turn because every time you lose a operative, that's a huge hit to your space marines and it's a huge plus to your opponent. And then finally, again, you just want to make sure that you are going through and you're trying to keep at least eight inches of range away from your opponent. It's okay if you want to get a little bit close to them when you're playing objectives or when you're getting advantage points or you're shooting at them. But if you can avoid that eight inches um, at all times, that's going to help you avoid getting charged by your opponents and it can help you out in the long run. If you're getting really good at keeping the eight inch range away from your opponent's operatives, then that is awesome then go ahead and when you're using those people on the vantage point, take care of the other special weapons. But when you're first starting out, that's one thing to be worried about is your space marines. They're not indestructible. They can die very easily in the fight phase, especially if your opponent is pushing up multiple models to fight you at one time. Try to make sure that you're using this to the best ability that you can. Now I guarantee there's tons of other tactics out there, but this episode has already been pretty long um, and a lot of it is tangible stuff that you can use right away in your games. But um, and hopefully good enough for you to use with other factions as well too. But I would highly just recommend you start with those ones. And if you're looking for more, feel free to hit me up. I've got a lot more tactic ideas to kind of work for you. I love to be a problem solver. I love to analyze issues and to come up with solutions for them. And I think that's something with the Space Marines that a lot of people aren't doing right now. Why a lot of people throw them to the wayside to say, listen, they may be the poster child of Games Workshop. A lot of people might have Marines, but I'm not playing them because they're not competitive. I feel like if you follow those simple rules, those three rules will help you survive and do a lot better than you might think with the Space Marine Intercessors. So now let's talk about equipment. Now, I've really kind of gone down the rabbit hole with this whole, hey, let's keep it quick and keep it simple, getting started with Intercessors. Um, sorry about that to you all, but um, this one is kind of important that if you're going to be playing match play games or narrative play missions, uh, if you're wanting to delve in and play with equipment, you probably should know what they are and what they do. And so let's just kind of go over what's available to the intercessors themselves. To start with, I'm going to go with the frag grenade. This costs two equipment points. And for those of you that are newer to the game and maybe you don't understand like what equipment is, you're allowed to in match play games and I believe in most narrative play games, unless your opponent says otherwise, you and your opponent agree otherwise, you can bring up to 10 points of equipment. Now this is like the only point building 
in the game. It's the customization, and it kind of helps each of your models get a little bit more powerful compared to their basic stat line. So it makes some certain of your intercessor warriors more powerful than just a standard bog intercessor. So, Frag Grenade, to get started with, is a pretty vital one to use if you're going up against different Horde armies. This one costs two equipment points to actually put onto your model and to be able to use in the game. Effectively what it is, it's another weapon that whenever you're deciding to shoot, um, you can choose the grenade instead of your bolt rifle in order to actually fire with it. Um, it's a great option when you're taking on horde-style armies because even though it's limited to a 6-inch range, which is like you're throwing it that route, um, it can actually be a solid include because when you're taking on things like poxwalkers, demons, cultists, um, guardsmen, other low wound operatives who want to swarm a marine, um, it's going to have this characteristic called blast. Blast is a special rule that makes short work of them because essentially if you target one enemy operative that's coming after your space marine or you're going after them and they have any other enemy operatives within two inches of them, the blast will actually go through and throw shrapnel out and then hit the other enemy operatives that was within two inches of your original target. So it's actually a really solid include if you're playing against an opponent who wants to group all of their guys together, or if you're playing against a horde style army where they're small, tiny little um, units, or not units, but operatives, and you're able to deal some massive damage to them. So effectively, if you're going up against Chaos Cultists, and you've got your one Space Marine Intercessor with a frag grenade, you could move your Intercessor up, Heck, you can even then dash them if you're still not within range, and then you can choose to shoot with your frag grenade. Throw it over to the pile of dudes over there. You can roll four dice, see if all those dice hit with a ballistic skill of three. Um, they might take out that one enemy operative that you targeted originally, or they might not. They might just wound them. And then now you also get to then roll four dice for the other enemy operative that's within two inches of the original target, and then do the same thing there if there is another operative within the two inches of the original target. This is really good because if you are getting charged as a Space Marine, you can choose to fall back and then throw a frag grenade at the group that was charging you. And a lot of these small horde armies actually get advantages that if they are swarming you, they get the support rule where they want to try and get as many models within engagement range of you. And if they're doing that, they're gonna have a lot of models that are within two inches of you. Um, I'll talk about times you might wanna bring your fragger to kind of hinted at it there, but that's, that's a good opportunity for you to bring a frag grenade. Crack grenade, little bit different um it costs three points for your equipment so three ep and honestly it's my preferred choice of the grenade simply for the fact that it has the ap1 rule i love ap1 in this game because if you're taking defense dice away from your opponent that means there's less of a chance that they actually get to roll to save and get rid of the wounds you're actually rolling against them now you have the ap1 rule rather than the blast rule because this one's going to be like more of a high explosive grenade that's supposed to be able to take out like more armored opponents um, rather than a blast where it's throwing a bunch of shrapnel now it can dole out more damage too because unlike the frag grenade where every one of their hits their successful damage getting dealt to the opponent is either going to be a two or a three this one is a four or a five so in most cases i love to be able to throw my grenade know that i'm taking away a defense dice from my opponent so even if they're retaining one they're going to be putting that hard decision as i was talking about the last segment here and then you're also going to deal four or five damage to each successful hit that you get through that they do not save 
And this is easily done because your Space Marines have a ballistic skill on their weapons of three up. Now, the downside to frag and crack grenades um, is that the grenade is limited. Meaning it's only one use. So once you throw a grenade with your Space Marine, you cannot throw another grenade. So you have to be smart for the time that you actually want to throw it. And it has a six inch range, which again means you're getting within charge range. Um, so you really don't want to necessarily want to be doing this on purpose, unless you want to sacrifice a Marine, that's totally fine too. Um, but where it does have a pretty good play into it is that it does have the indirect rule, which removes cover for the sake of targeting an enemy operative. It's really nice for, you know, getting rid of those sneaky beakies and concealment. If your opponent is putting a model behind some light terrain or whatever, or maybe they're within one inch of that heavy terrain piece and they're visible, you can see them. Normally, if they're concealed, you cannot target them with a weapon. When you have a grenade, that indirect rule says, well, even though they are behind cover, they're in cover right now, and even though they are concealed, because you can see them, you can throw this grenade at them. So, it's essentially as if you're running into like a room, like if you're playing Call of Duty or something or Halo, and you know somebody's in a room, you might chuck a grenade in there to kind of flush them out, or to at least deal some damage if they're planning on camping in there. Same kind of concept here with that grenade. Indirect rule can actually help you out a ton, and especially if you're gonna be like, I'm gonna normal move my Marine, I'm gonna throw a grenade over this guy that is, you know, visible, but not necessarily technically targetable, thanks to concealment. And then I'm gonna dash behind some other cover, get myself out of that eight inch range if possible. That's a pretty good play to do with a grenade, and it can be pretty helpful for you too. So that's the grenades. Those are the two that you can take for intercessors. You don't have to take them, but they are pretty good. And my favorite again is the crack grenade. Auxiliary grenade launchers next, since we're on the topic of grenades. Auxiliary grenade launchers cost one EP or one equipment point. This little doodad is in my opinion a go-to choice for equipment for your intercessors. It costs only one EP, which allows your operative to take away the six inch range on your grenades and essentially turns the limited special rule into a limited two special rule. This essentially what it tells you is that, hey, you get to fire your frag or crack grenade two times rather than just the one time. Um, so that's what the auxiliary grenade launcher allows it to do. And it gets rid of that six inch range. Now, the downside is it does take away the indirect rule uh, when you use it, but when you don't really have a, um, I don't know, when you don't have an opponent that's really wanting to get close to you, especially if you're playing somebody who's new, who's keeping most of their models back, you might want to have that auxiliary grenade launcher profile. So you can shoot as if you had a bolt rifle. Unlike the last edition where you can field multiple these on a team, you can only bring one on a team of intercessors, which kind of makes sense. That's what you get to do in big 40K. Makes sense that that's what you do in kill team. So make sure that whoever you pass the ox off to, make sure they bring fire. Just all joking aside, it is a really good weapon profile to use and the fact that you get to use grenades twice is pretty decent now it's a great option if you want to bring a special weapon to a team who doesn't have access to one normally and will oftentimes i'll use it turn one you know with one of my basic marines um, just to kind of make him into a demolition specialist for the team. It's as if I brought a special weapon like a plasma gun or a grenade launcher, because it literally is a grenade launcher, to take on my opponents whenever I technically shouldn't on their base profiles. Now, the downside to it though, outside of it getting rid of indirect, which sometimes can be pro or con, 
is that in order to use it, you must also pay for the equipment cost of having a frag or crack grenade on there. So it can tie up three to four equipment points respectively, depending on which grenade you decide to bring. So overall, it can really work towards your advantage, um, but it can also hinder you that if you want to give a lot more kit to all the rest of your other Marines, you might have a bad time. But I'm gonna tell you right now, I really do think the auxiliary grenade launcher and the crack grenade combo, and heck, if you wanna throw a frag on there too, you can, but I think the frag, or the crack grenade and the auxiliary grenade launcher are a great combo choice to throw onto a normal Space Marine intercessor that could make them better. Now, the next one is your suspensor system. Suspensor systems, they cost three equipment point out of your TIM. Um, and really, I would only ever bring this on a stalker bolt rifle profile soldier if you have one. It doesn't make sense otherwise, as it essentially just changes the heavy special rule to allow you to move six inches rather than the three inches that heavy rule normally tells you. Um, it's pretty nice if you have a heavy stalker bolt rifle. If you're playing a full team of heavy stalker bolt rifles, then don't do this you know don't tie up all of your equipment points into that one just play a bit more tactfully but effectively it allows your um space marines to say hey listen even if i'm gonna hit and crits i'm taking away those defense dice from opponents and i'm lugging around this big old heavy thing but i think that kind of sets you back because one of the more powerful things you can do with a space marine outside of bolted discipline which we'll talk about strategic poise next it is um being able to move then shoot your opponent and then dash into cover. And even if you give the suspensor system to, or multiple suspensor systems to multiple stock or bolt rifle profiles, you're not gonna be able to do that extra dash. You can do a normal move of your three inch, or of your six inches, shoot, and then I can't move. Unless of course you're wanting to change things up a little bit. Now technically, if you're really wanting to cut, cut the threads, cut the grain here, whatever you wanna say, um, thread the needle, you can technically move your operative three inches with a normal move, shoot at your opponent, and then dash the other three inches, and it could still be viable, because the heavy rule just simply says that just, you can't move more than three inches normally. Suspensor system says change this to six inches, so there's still that, but honestly, if you're not bringing a heavy weapon, don't worry about suspensor systems. They're not really gonna apply to you. Next one we'll talk about is Purity Seal. Purity Seals cost three equipment points, allows you to do a command reroll tactical ploy for free once per game um, for that specific model that it's equipped to. It's gotten me out of some jams before, but also has had wasted potential. You know, it's been a wasted piece of equipment in a lot of games, but if you have the EP to spare, stick it on your most valuable operative. What the tactical reroll allows you to do is that in a attack phase or a defense roll phase, not phases, but one of you're rolling attack dice or if you're rolling defense dice, you can use the tactical ploy to re-roll your dice. The command re-roll tactical ploy, you can use it as many times as you want to, you just can't re-roll the same roll twice. So if I was like, oh, I'm in the defense phase right now, I'm gonna go ahead and re-roll this one dice. Oh, perfect, I've got my got my three up save that I needed. Perfect. That's what the purity seal allows you to do is just allows you to use that tactical, uh, the command reroll once for free per game. Now, again, I'm told you I've had some games where I've stuck it onto my intercessor sergeant because he was my most valuable operative. I didn't want him getting headhunted or whatever. So I had him pretty much just playing it safe and shooting in the backfield. And I ended up not using his purity seal at all. 
because he didn't end up not getting targeted um, like I thought he was going to. So that's one thing that, keep that in mind, there's nothing too flashy about it. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It's not the worst thing in the world, but not the best necessarily. Um, Auspex. This is the last piece of equipment that I'm going to talk about that's available to your intercessors. This costs three equipment points, or three AP. I don't really use this outside of thematic reasons. Yes, giving the no cover rule can be nice to a space marine. Um, however, requires you to use two action points in the first place to use it. So I was talking about you have three APL for your soldiers and you have a group activation of one. What this does is it can turn one of your models into a killing machine. Heck, it even turn the same model that's equipped with the aspects into a killing machine, provided your opponent is actually in cover and actually using that defense dice, the automatic retain. No cover doesn't mean that your opponent's not in cover. They still are. So it's not going to get rid of concealment. If it did, this would be a go-to choice for me. No, what it actually does is just says that if your opponent is in cover, they do not get to automatically retain their dice. So they essentially have to roll all three of their defense dice or two if you have an AP weapon. It just doesn't really... I think it's kind of a trap. I think it's kind of a sinkhole because not only are you using three equipment points on your list that you could be using elsewhere, like giving a frag crack and grenade, and grenade launcher combo to somebody and a suspension system or heck even purity seals to somebody. I don't really think it's that powerful. Um, and then you also have to use, you know, two action points. So you've got one action point left on your operative. And here's the thing, you give the no cover rule to one of your space marines. Maybe you give it to a different space marine that's not the one holding the auspex. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but now you have to wait for your opponent to then move all their models around since you've used your group activation one. And this could spell your downfall because if they decide to say, oh, well, you just gave that guy the no cover rule on their weapon. You wasted essentially a whole model's turn to do that. I'm going to go ahead and target that guy that just got the no cover roll not the aspects guy because he can keep eating up command points keep eating up your soldiers moving around the battlefield and everything i'm going to kill the guy that has the no cover roll that you just kind of set up or poised up to be your most powerful model on the table now i have heard folks and rumors of people using this equipment on a sergeant model and then pairing up with a strategic ploy tactical precision I'll talk again about strategic ploys and tactical ploys here in a little bit for beginners. Um, but it's kind of been debunked because it turns your team into a killing machine. But the reason it's debunked is blast is a thing. If you don't want too many operatives too close um, to your sergeant, because blast, if they target your sergeant, you're going to be having models within three inches, which chances are they're probably going to be within two inches. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I've got my sergeant and he's giving the um, no cover rule around to one of the other operators or giving it to himself, I know everybody's going to re-roll their hits because of tactical precision. That's that strategic ploy that they can give. It's going to be a bad time because if the opponent has an auxiliary grenade launcher with a frag grenade on it, they say, all right, perfect. You wasted two AP. Um, you essentially wasted a model with your aspects and you've crowded all of your guys around your sergeant. Now I'm going to shoot a frag grenade at you, blow your sergeant up, and blow up anybody else that's pretty much within range of that sergeant. And that's very, very easy. Now, if you really wanted to use it, I think a cool use would be put onto a spotter sniper basis. Uh, but seeing as you don't have too many oper operatives um, that are on your team, I'm just saying it's a potential glass cannon issue. 
especially with the group activation being one. If you put it on your stalker, I mean, heck, if you want to do it this way, you say, all right, I'm going to put stalker bolt rifle intercessor on the battlefield. I'm going to give him an auspex and I'm going to give him a suspensor system and heck, maybe give him purity seal because he's got all the rest of this equipment on him. So I don't necessarily want him to die. And I want to have a reroll on my defense dice. That's all well and said, but you just spent all that equipment point on one operative that might be able to take away the cover roll from somebody that you don't necessarily need to do that because you've got the AP one rule anyway. So again, my thoughts, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I would be going down this, especially for high tier play or competitive play or heck even casual play, but for giggles, if you really want to go ahead and bring an Auspex in your team, if you're dying to try it out on a model build or you already have one available. Um, but yeah, the no, no, no cover rule isn't quite what a lot of people think. And honestly, it doesn't really help out too much in my opinion. Now, my top picks, as we go down the list, you've probably kind of figured it out, but crack grenade is my number one equipment point or choice for these space Marines. My number two is the auxiliary grenade launcher, provided that you have equipped grenades. If you don't, don't bring the auxiliary grenade launcher. It's not going to help you at all. Um, the third, I would say suspensor systems on your stalker bolt rifle Marines. If you didn't bring one, don't worry about the suspensor systems. But if you do have one, it does help out tremendously with being able to move around the battlefield. Frag grenade, I would bring it if you have horde armies that you're going up against. Things like the Imperial Guard, things like demons, things like Harlequins, things like, well, kind of Harlequins. But if you've got a bunch of small models with low wound counts that you can go through and take care of, and your opponent's trying to get them in close combat or whatever, then yes, bring the frag grenade. It can be pretty decent. Purity Seal, my next in the line that I would say, hey, this is a good one to go with. If you've got the points to spare and a model you really want to protect, throw that Purity Seal on them. And it's quite simple just saying that, hey, I'm not going to add all these extra rules onto my characters. I'm just going to throw purity seals on, you know, three of my models. So that's nine equipment points right there used up for three different purity seals. That's all well and said. You go ahead and do that if you want to. And then Auspects, I would only ever bring this if you have a thematic reason or you have a personal love for the Auspects. I don't think it's powerful. I think it's pretty weak. And honestly, I think it's a trap for people that are not wanting to eat up their equipment points, but maybe are new to the game. I personally, I have models with Auspexes, you know, kitted out on them. I kind of liked them in the last edition. I don't think they're very good in Kill Team. But that's my thought on the equipment side. Um, hopefully that helps a lot of you beginners kind of understand what these pieces of equipment do and situations where you might want to bring them. Um, as we continue on, I'm going to go ahead and let's talk about some different strategic and tactical ploys that are available to you. I know it's been a lengthy episode already, but we're this far already, so sorry y'all, um, this is going to be kind of a long one, but I really just want to go as in-depth as I can for some of the beginner players, but also for some of you that maybe want to get a bit more of experienced, I don't know, eyes on this. Alright, so... For the final part of this episode, which ended up turning to be, hey, let's keep it short and simple for beginners, to being, hey, let's just cover everything for a brand new beginner, and maybe even some of the seasoned, more tactical, experienced Space Marine players, is the strategic ploys specifically for the intercessors. Now, because this is for beginners, I'm going to explain to you guys how strategic and tactical ploys work. I know I've done this on an earlier episode, but for some of you that are just tuning in and saying, hey, Tell me how this stuff works. This is what it's going to be for you. Now, as you'll come to learn as you're playing through the game and learning about, I guess, just the game in general, 
there are different kinds of ploys that you can use. Now, the way it works is that you have like extra little abilities that you can use for your team. You use command points as a separate resource to help you with using these ploys to help make your armies a little bit stronger and help your dice rolls be a little bit more consistent. Learning how to utilize your command points and the ploys effectively will help you kind of level up your game a little bit, but can even help you out with your, just your beginner games and understanding kind of how they work. Command points, they are a separate resource for you to generate, and you generate at least one of them in each of your turns. So for every turn you generate, or turning point, my bad, you generate one command point at the start of the strategy phase. You get to use this. You get to use them on strategic ploys. They are they have a name and then they have a cost of how much it's going to cost you command point wise to actually utilize them, and they essentially have an effect. If you play Magic the Gathering, I would equate strategic ploys to be like sorcery speed spells, saying that oh, you pay the mana in order to do the effect that's on the card. That's kind of what I would equate a strategic ploy to be. You can only play strategic ploys during your strategy phase during the part that's called play strategic ploy phase. So I think it's like step two out of it. Um, now, strategic ploys, a little bit different compared to tactical ploys. Tactical ploys can be used at any time specified by the ploy itself rather than being stuck in the strategy phase. So like, for example, command reroll. This is something that's used in the core rulebook. Everybody has it available to them, so it is applicable to you. It can be used after rolling attack or defense dice. That's what it says. And essentially, it says once you've done that, then you get to re-roll your die. So that's command re-roll. That's a tactical ploy. It's not used in the strategy phase. It's used when you're actually playing the firefight phase, playing the game, more or less. So when you're doing a strategy or strategic ploy, during the strategy phase, you start with the player with initiative, you say, I'm going to use this strategic ploy, you pay the command pot, uh, points, and then it jumps over to the other player. They then say, I'm going to use this ploy, they pay their command points, and then it goes into effect. And then it jumps back over to the player with initiative, saying, I'm either going to pass or I'm going to use um, a strategic ploy and pay the command points. Now. You can pass as many times as you want to. Um, if your opponent continues to say, I'm going to keep playing this strategic ploy, this strategic ploy, this strategic ploy, that's totally fine. You can definitely do that. Um, just know that you're going to get one command point every turn that you can use on these strategic ploys, or you can save them up to kind of help build up a reserve for things like your tactical or your command reroll or your other tactical ploys. Now, if I was a new player... And whenever I do teach new players, I feel that the best way to grasp ploys and companion points is to ease into it. You don't want to get super overwhelmed with it. I got super overwhelmed whenever I started playing Warhammer 40k um, with the, uh, they're not called ploys, they're called um, stratagems. Got super overwhelmed with the stratagems, which effectively work the same way as this. And I was like, well, which ones are actually valuable? Which ones should I actually use? Which ones should I focus on? And I was just super overwhelmed with it. I, I've made cheat sheets now for whenever I'm teaching friends how to play. But I feel like this is the same thing in Kill Team. There are some ploys which are better for others. There are some ploys that work better with certain specific Kill Teams or even Kill Team loadouts. But I feel like easing into it is going to help you out tremendously. And I would just start with the command reroll for your first game or first turning point at the least, depending on how fast you're picking up the games and how many games you feel like it's going to take for you to get the hang of it. 
Now, Command Reroll has been a classic. It's been in a lot of other editions of the game. It's been in 40k as well. It just works differently with Kill Team that it works specifically with your attack and defense rolls only. In the past, you used to be able to use it for initiative. You used to be able to use it for morale. You used to use it for all kinds of other things. They've simplified it for this one, just saying, listen, if you're shooting with a weapon or you're fighting with a weapon and you don't like the roll that you got, you can choose to pay one CP to re-roll that roll. The key rule, though, is that you can never re-roll a dice more than once on the same roll. So let's just say I decide to shoot my bolt rifle and I get a hit and I get a hit and I get a hit and then I get a one. Well, a one's going to fail. I can choose to pay one command point with that command reroll, reroll that dice, and then I get to use that. Now, if I got maybe another one, or maybe I got a two, which would still be a fail on my hit, I cannot choose to command reroll that roll again. So keep that in mind when you are playing. It's a dangerous game to play because you might just screw yourself over on on how you're going to be rolling the dice. But the command reroll great place for people to get started off with and honestly for the very first game either you're learning or you're teaching somebody else how to play i recommend only use the command reroll. you're gonna have a ton of command points left over at the end of the game probably maybe not um but it's gonna be an easy way to say listen this is one thing that everybody gets to use regardless of what faction they're playing whether it's space marine or Drakari or harlequins or orcs or heretic of star days everybody's got the command reroll available to them um, then you want to start progressing and learn the strategic ploys for your faction and then learn the tactical ploys for your faction. Just do it a piece at a time as you're playing games. And whether or not you're learning some, doing some like introductory games with your friends or you're going to LGS, try to keep yourself to that and say, listen, I'm only going to use this ploy and then I'm going to dip into some of the others. Now, that's kind of, well, it's kind of the basics of how ploys work. The other thing you need to know is strategic ploys and tactical ploys, they each have a command point cost. Some of them, they work a little bit different because every faction has their own strategic and tactical ploys available to them. Some of them are super powerful. Some of them are kind of duds, but it's really kind of up to your play style and what you as a player find most valuable. If you're a casual player, you might love the way that a specific rule works for your faction. Go ahead and use that. Other times, some of these ploys might be completely broken and maybe a lot of people in the competitive meta are using it because they're like, hey, listen, this is uh, the best thing to use for Tau Pathfinders and their drones or whatever. That's... That's neither here nor there. I'm not going to tell you what the most powerful meta creep thing is. I'm here just to give you some basic ploys to kind of understand specifically for the Space Marines. So if you're checking out the compendium, that's where you can find these Space Marines strategic and tactical ploys I'm going to tell you about. But otherwise, I will also include this picture on the Twitter jham special for you guys to get access to just like i'm doing with the data sheets for your space marine intercessors that's what i'm doing here with these ploys now after you've got the command reroll down there are only five ploys that i really recommend that you get to know at least on a on a friendly side of things get to know how these ploys work for if it's getting played against you or if you're going to play them yourself. And I think they are the most powerful ones that you can play playing the Primaris Intercessors for the Space Marines. Now, 
I'm going to tell you this much, strategic ploys, they're going to be a lot easier applied to your army. I honestly think they're a little bit easier to understand and they're less situational. So you don't have to feel like, ooh, I'm only going to use this one time. Strategic ploys, a lot of times from what I've been reading through the compendium and some of the other specialist books too, strategic ploys are kind of like your kill team wide effects or they might affect more than just one operative. Tactical ploys, they're a lot more situational and they might only come in clutch for one specific operative on your team. So keep that in mind as that's kind of how they play. And that's another reason why I say focus a command reroll, then learn the strategic ploys, and then learn tactical ploys that are specific to your faction. So the first strategic ploy that I think is extremely powerful for you to know and for you to use for the Space Marines is Bolter Discipline. Bolter Discipline for one command point effectively changes the rules up a little bit so that way you can shoot twice. Now, when you're looking through the actions that you can do for each of your models individually, you can only do actions once. So you can only do a normal move once. You can only use um, a charge once. You can only fight once. You can only shoot once, yada, yada, yada. Boulder Discipline effectively changes the rules of the game and says that if you are playing a Space Marine model, that's not a scout, which we're not worrying about here, you get to shoot again, provided you are using a bolt weapon. Well, guess what? Every single weapon you have at your disposal right now is a bolt rifle. It's a bolt weapon, so you get to actually shoot twice. So you still need to pay the action point for this. I, I My buddy Alex didn't quite get that whenever I was first teaching how to play. I feel really bad about that, so I want you guys to understand it's not a free shoot. You don't get to just do it again you still have to pay the action point for it. So if you're 3 APL, just know that if you move and then you shoot, the next time you shoot again, you are paying an action point to actually do that action. So where it breaks the rules a little bit is just saying that you get to actually shoot two times if you want to. So rather than rolling four attack dice, you're getting to roll eight attack dice, which is super, super awesome. Or if you're just being really crazy, do it, do it your army-wide. Do it the team-wide. Maybe everybody is shooting, and so now you've got five models that would normally shoot four shots and deal out 20 attack dice. Now you're going to do 40 attack dice for the entire team to put it in your team-wide perspective. That's where Bolter Discipline is extremely powerful. I think it's extremely powerful for the Primaris Intercessors, and I just think it's powerful in general for Space Marines. Now, I've heard a lot of people, they say, oh, this thing is super overpowered. It's extremely broken. you got to watch out for Bolter Discipline or whatever the Heretic Astartes version of it is. But then also people say that Space Marines are kind of trash. So <laughs> you take it as you feel. Uh, but I feel like Bolter Discipline, it's by far my favorite strategic ploy. It's the one that I use pretty much all the time. Now, the other strategic ploy is Tactical Precision. Now, cost one command point to put this into effect and effectively what it says is as long as you have space marines within three inches or blue square and visible to a friendly leader operative in the fight and or each time they fight in combat or make a shooting attack roll the attack dice again if you want to so essentially you just say you can re-roll your attack dice so whether or not you get a one on your shots or you get a two on your shots or hits, depending if you're going in close combat or if you're shooting, I recommend shooting, you get to re-roll your shots if you want to. So it's really good. Um, in some cases, I feel like it's a dangerous game to play 
The big thing I gotta say is tactical precision effectively changes it up so that way your sergeant, he's wholly within himself all the time. So you're guaranteed one model, one command point, you get to reroll all of your shooting attacks or your melee attacks with him. So he's kind of like leading by example. If you have any other space marines that's wanting to hang out within blue square or three inches of him, you're going to be able to activate this and do pretty decent with it because now you've got him be able to reroll all of his shots and then you have your other person be able to reroll all of their shots. Now here's the cool thing with strategic ploys. You cannot play a ploy more than one time outside of command reroll. That's the only one you can roll multiple times. But you can actually use bolter discipline, pay its command point, go to your opponent, then come back to you and you can say, I'm also going to use tactical precision and pay my command points. So now you've got space marines that can fire two different times in their operator's turn and you get to reroll all of their attack rolls provided they're within range of your sergeant to be able to use that. So that's where I think it is extremely powerful. Do you need bolt discipline to make tactical precision work? No, you don't. But does it help? Yes, it does. Especially since you can stack those effects on there. So having a team where they get to roll 40 shots and potentially all of the models get to re-roll their shots, provided they miss, you get to go ahead and do that. And they don't even necessarily have to miss. If you happen to get some shots off and they are a successful hit, but you want to try and get some critical hits going, you're more than welcome to re-roll those dice and try to get that critical hit out of that dice roll. So if you're playing with bolt rifles, extremely helpful to say, oh, I did not get a six at all. Let's try this again. You can definitely do that. And I'd recommend you slow roll it if you're gonna go that route. You know, if you get a three and then you roll it again, then you get a four, go to your next dice. That was already a successful hit. Then roll that one and see if it's successful or not. So strategic ploy wise, bolt discipline, definitely use that one, learn it. And have fun with it. Tactical precision, it's, I wouldn't say it's terrible. It's a little bit less than bolter discipline, but it's one that still is maybe not the most powerful thing in the world. Shock assault, I don't recommend you use that one. Do not get in combat with your assault intercessors, and even then, do not choose to fight again because if your opponent did not die the first time you tried to kill them with your fists, they're probably not going to die this next time that you have fists. And they might be able to crack back and do some more damage to you two different times rather than just one time. So that's why I'm just kind of passing by this one. The only time I really recommend Shock Assault is if you're playing Assault Intercessors. Now finally, let's talk about tactical ploys here. Now, you actually have three of them available to you that you can use. Transhuman Physiology, Only in Death Does Duty End, and They Shall Know No Fear. Each of one of those costs one command point to put them in effect. Transhuman Physiology, this one takes place any time that you would uh, roll defense dice. So after you roll your defense dice for your friendly Primaris operative, which all these guys are Primaris, you can change one of your successful normal saves to a critical save. I don't think it's super powerful, and it's one of those I was like, I'm willing to get rid of Transhuman Physiology um, this edition so that way I can actually play my tactical marines here um not super powerful but it can be pretty decent so like if your opponent is firing a shot at you and you use your critical save to protect your guy from getting shot at great you, you go ahead and you just move that up there the cool thing is if you're in cover you automatically retain a normal save anyway so you can just say 
Well, I'm going to use transhuman physiology. That normal save is now a critical save, so that can be pretty decent. Honestly, I feel like it's a pretty good place to use it during your, um, well, you're only going to be able to use it in your uh, shooting phase because that's where you roll defense dice. Attacks, fighting, you don't do that. Um, transhuman's okay. It's not, it's not broken. It's not going to necessarily save you a world in a world of a hurt, but it can be nice every now and then just say, well, listen, I want to make sure that I'm not having to use two of my defense dice to get rid of a crit. I'll just use transhuman, change one of my dice over. You might be able to save yourself some wounds in the long run. Do I think it's super worth it? Potentially. Only a death is duty end is the next one. This one, anytime a um, ready, friendly space marine model would be incapacitated, you can pay a 1 CP, and that model essentially gets to do out all their actions. So if you've already moved a model around the battlefield, so like if they're engaged and they're no longer readied, they're flipped over, I mean they've been activated. This rule does not work for them. This work rule specifically works for your models that have not been flipped. So if you have those little tokens that you've gotten out of the essentials kit or whatever you're using that show that they're ready, like on the orange side, that's who you can use. So if Alex were to go through and use his plasma gunner and take out one of my intercessors, I can use only in death his duty end and then make sure that model gets to go through and fight and do all their stuff. Now, it's a weird way to kind of look at it, but they don't count as being injured at all. So it's kind of like, I don't know, the adrenaline is pumping through them. Their their armor is essentially like pumping them full of stems and all of like the, just the junk that makes them extremely powerful and scary to deal with. And they're kind of like regenerating themselves for the last stand. That's kind of what this tactical ploy does. It's like the last stand for your soldiers. So what you can do is if somebody were to kill your space marine, you can then kind of retaliate. You say only death is duty end. You pay a command point, charge them up the field, maybe get in close combat fighting with them. Maybe shoot them a couple times if you have bolter discipline. Go ahead and do that if you want to. Or otherwise, you can use them to rub the board and contest or take an objective from your opponent. Now, you might be thinking, what does it mean to be injured? Well, injured means anytime you're below half of your health, then you count as being injured. So, with your 13-wound Primaris um, Intercessor, if you are at 6 or less, that counts as you being below half health for them. Because 13 divided by 2, that's 6.5. So... If you're six or below on your wounds, your guy is injured, you effectively, your ballistic skill and your weapon skill gets one worse, and then you have to have, or not have, but you have to get rid of two inches off of your move normally. So it's a really good thing to use, in my opinion. I I think this one out of the tactical ploys is probably the best one to use because when you lose a space marine, it hurts you so bad. Keeping one command point up to make sure that if you happen to have one die on the battlefield, he still at least gets a full turn to go and do what they need to do. So if you're being a little bit more risky, you're pushing your Marines up um, and they happen to get incapacitated, utilize this, help them live one more turn, and then at the end of that turn, they count as being incapacitated and removed from the game. Now, that is a really good one to use. The last one I'm going to talk about here is they shall know, and they shall know no fear. One command point. 
You use the tactical ploy whenever a friendly space marine operative is activated. Until that end of the activation, you can ignore any modifiers to its APL characteristic, and it is not counted as being injured. So again, I talked about the injury side of things with the, with only a death is duty in. Same thing applies here. If you don't have a model that is dead, but maybe their movement is reduced, uh, maybe they have a worse ballistic skill or weapon skill, and you don't want that to happen. Um, Utilize this, kind of move up the battlefield. Um, certain factions take away action point limits um, from your Space Marines. So having an APL 3 is huge for Space Marines. Getting knocked down to 2, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It, it kind of is, but you lose your ability to kind of move, then shoot, and then duck behind cover. So like if you get hit with a shock grenade or baton or whatever the heck, whatever they're using to shock you to take away your APL utilize this to get rid of that characteristic from your APL being lost. Go take some objectives, go shoot some fools, have some fun with it. So if I were to rank tactical ploys, if you want to learn each of these, and you want to take them game by game. If you're somebody who's going to say, listen, the strategic ploys, you told me how it works. The tactical ploys, you've told me how they work. I'm going to learn one per game and just get really good at using it on each one of those games. Here's the order I would use for tactical ploys. Only in death does duty end should be the one that you primarily focus on using tactical ploy wise. Outside of command reroll, of course. That one's just the given. Learn that one first, period. The reason for that one is in case your space marine does die, you allow yourself to learn that, hey, being able to do things in death is actually extremely powerful. In cases where I wouldn't be able to take an objective, if I wouldn't be able to kill my opponent, if I wouldn't be able to kind of live out his last breath or whatever, only Death to Duty End allows you to live out your fantasies of the Space Marine kind of taking a last stand before they perish. Now, the second one I would focus on is They Shall Know No Fear. This one's going to be really good, especially if you have opponents that are doing things to your APL on your Marines. Or if you happen to have taken a lot of hits and you need to lick your wounds a little bit and keep pushing forward, this one's really good. And honestly, I would say it's up to you to decide between the two. I think they're both really good ones. I would just say, look at the situations you played. In your first couple games or your first few turning points, do you feel like, hey, I'm going to lose models quite a bit because they've got some punches that will kill my model. Or, hey... Am I just getting whittled down here and I've got a bunch of space marines that can't really do much right now? Should it be better for me to try and use these guys while they're alive? Or should it be better for me to try and save my command points and use it for whenever they inevitably die? Which leaves me my final one. Transhuman physiology, it, it kind of it doesn't get an F, but I would say it gets like a D plus in um, how I'd rate it. I don't think changing a normal save to a critical save is super important in this game. Heck, if you really wanted to, just use a command reroll to reroll one of your defense dice to try and get it better. Um, because you've already got a save characteristic of 3-up, which is really good. Um, so more than 50% of the time, you're going to be just fine. Um, but, you know, there's a few times where you're like, I'm already guaranteed a automatic save. Why not use Transhuman Physiology to turn that into a critical save? because I'm in cover and whatnot. That's completely fine. Use that as you see fit. But I don't think you need to necessarily bend over backwards to make sure you're keeping command points for transhuman physiology. If you're going to be keeping it for anything, keep it for command reroll, keep it for only in depth is duty end, and keep it for thou they shall know no fear.
And that's the lowdown. That's everything I have to say about tactical and strategic ploys for Space Marines. You know, I really went over the basics, so hopefully you guys really kind of understood how do you generate command points, you know, and how do you do um, you know, XYZ thing? When do you do strategic ploys? When do you do tactical ploys? Hopefully that helped you out a little bit. One thing I did fail to mention there in the beginning for you all um, is every turn you generate one command point. So just think of it as, okay, I know I'm going to be using a maybe a strategic ploy every single turn, or maybe I'm going to be using a tactical ploy every single turn. Honestly, I would say try to use your command points as often as you can. I think your strategic ploys for your intercessors are much more powerful compared to your tactical ploys, and every turn that you generate a command point, you should be trying to activate Bolter Discipline, or activate tactical precision. Either one of those, you should be going through and saying, yes, I'm going to spend a command point and I'm going to use this every single one of my turns. Because just like with Magic the Gathering, man, unused mana, unused cards, means that you're at a disadvantage, you're not playing as efficiently as your opponent. Same thing goes here. If you're not using your command points, chances are your opponent is probably using theirs. Um, or if they're not, that's their mistake. Capitalize on it and try to use your command points because you're going to give yourself so much more power every single turn. And finally, the other thing that I just wanted to mention here too, for some of you that might be wondering, well, don't you get more command points than just one of the game? Yes, technically you do. When you're playing open play, match play, and narrative play, they actually have rules in there whenever you're getting the game started. Um, in the game setup, Whenever you're choosing your kill team, if you choose a kill team that has a leader operative on there, you gain two command points at the start of the game. So effectively, as soon as you hit turn one, you actually get three command points because you have a leader on your team and you have generated one in this strategy phase. So you do have a little bit of a bank that if you want to use a strategic ploy every single turn and just keep those two other command points back to use for command rerolls or use for transhuman or only in death or and they shall know no fear, that's totally up to you. You can do that if you want to, or you can just go insane and say, listen, from the start, I'm using tactical precision and bolt discipline every single turn. That's fine. You're going to run out of command points pretty quickly. But that's an option that you get to make as you are commanding your kill team. The reason that they have it set up that way, not just saying you get three command points right away, is strictly for narrative play games, open play games, match play games. It's not going to be as uh, much of an issue because your roster stays the same every single time you jump in the game. You'll always have a leader. You'll always have your full kill team. Narrative play, certain models can die permanently and you might not be able to replace them right away or at all. So when it comes to your leader, if your ha leader happen to get incapacitated, uh, maybe they're still alive and you're resting them so that way they can get rid of some battle scars, or maybe they actually fully was slain and they're not coming back at all uh, until you spend some requisition points to get another one, you might be out that extra command points. So if you're somebody who's jumping in a narrative play, uh, even just to, not just to avoid the headhunter um, rule for like the seek and destroy tac ops, I would highly say that you probably want to keep your leader alive as much as possible in narrative play. When it comes to open play, when it comes to match play, don't have to worry about it so much. If your leader dies, they die. Uh, you'll get them again next game. Narrative play, be careful. Don't throw your leader out to the wolves. Make sure they do live because you want to try and have three CP every game start. But 
That's just my opinion on it. I've only played a few narrative play games. I've mainly been playing match and open play games uh, for the most part. But I have a lot of fun with open play. But if you guys thought that was helpful, please let me know. Let me know what kind of uh, tactics or uh, ploys you've been using. Um, and I'd really, really appreciate just getting a chance to hear that. I guess there is one more thing I probably should talk to you guys about. Heck, this episode is long enough already. So for those of you that have already tuned out or said, hey, listen, I'm not going to listen to you. Or I'm going to check out here. I'm going to talk a little bit about strategic ploys and the archetypes. Or not strategic ploys, cheese. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about tech ops. Those secondary objectives that you get to play with in the game. And which ones you should be choosing for your intercessor teams and which ones can you even choose for your intercessor teams so stick around this will be the last segment of this episode that i'm going to focus on that we go in full deep dive into intercessors but thank you all so far for listening around and go ahead and jump on over let's talk about your attack ops All right, let's try this again. I've tried recording this segment several different times. It is just not one to work with me. I keep having technical issues or things happening that just kind of like interrupts the recording. So sorry. Um, but this is going to be one of the last pieces to putting your actual team together is the TAC Ops. TAC Ops are extremely important because they're like your secondary objectives and they are the things you can kind of tailor to your play style and your team itself to help you earn a little bit more victory points. For those of you that are uninitiated, you don't know what TAC Ops are, I'd highly encourage you to check out the core rulebook. Right before the appendix, there are, uh, I think it's like four different pages that go over each of the different TAC Ops. TAC Ops have different things called archetypes um, and Effectively, what that just is, is it kind of is telling you your play style or the way your team's going to function or play or work or things you might want to try and accomplish. That's what your archetype is. There are four different ones available to you. There's Seek and Destroy, Security, Infiltration, and Recon. Seek and Destroy is more of your killing side of things. Um, security is more about your board control and positioning. Infiltration is also a little bit about board control, but more about the positioning of your models and maybe even getting some models off the board but it has some different um, interactions that you're supposed to deal with uh, other models and the board to kind of help you flesh things out. And then finally, recon is about, of course, getting around the board, um, doing different things, controlling different sectors or zones and giving you a little bit better reconnaissance of the area. So um, I think they all are very thematic and they're all very cool. And I love all of them. I've heard some people say infiltration is absolutely terrible. It might be competitively standing, but it is a lot of fun to play. So you've got a team that does it very well. The only two that you need to worry about for your primary intercessor team is seek and destroy and security. So the way that this will work, um, especially in match play and narrative play missions, they are extremely important, these tack ops are. You will actually go through at the start of the game and you will choose which archetype your team is going to be. Now, seek and destroy and security are the two that are available to you. When you check out the kill team compendium, you look at your uh, fire team and how they're broken down. It tells you what archetype they have available to you. You'll see some teams, they maybe only have one, like the veteran guardsmen only have security. Um, normal guardsmen only have security, but you might find some that have all of them, like the guardsmen scions have access to every single one of these. Space Marines, a lot of them usually have seek and destroy and security on there, um, but some of them like your infiltrators might have infiltration and recon on there. So it's kind of 
it's kind of up to you to decide like whatever faction you decide to play they're going to have different ones for you the only two you have to worry about is seeking destroyed security and you're fortunate because arguably those are the best two in the entire game because they both play around things you want to do in the game killing things and taking board control and they help you play well with your primary objectives overall so if you're accomplishing your attack ops it should make things easier for you to actually win with the primary objective as well so what do you actually do in order to start doing your attack ops now open play is going to work a little bit different i'm going to give you some advice on some other ways you can do that but typically the way it works is that you have a little deck of cards now you can buy these deck of cards they're 18 bucks that show each of the different attack ops on there uh, but i have heard some people just say i'm going to roll some dice or we're just going to pick it depending on which play group you're playing at and maybe lgs or tournament or whatever but the way it would work is you would take the six different tack ops that are available to your archetype. So if you chose Seek and Destroy, you would then have a small six card deck that has cards like Headhunter and Execution and Robin Ransack and Route and Deadly Marksman and uh, Challenge all within there. You would shuffle them up and then you would deal two out. You flip them over just for yourself to see and you choose one that you wanna keep, you discard the other one. Then you do the same thing two cards choose one discard two cards choose one discard and now you've got three tack ops available to you and that is a total of six victory points that you can actually earn for your team now arguably some of these are better than other ones so keep that in mind when you're playing the game some of them might be very hard for you to accomplish depending on the team that you're fielding and some of them are very easy to do too and i want to share with you the ones that i feel like have been extremely easy for the seek and destroy and the security side uh, for me to play with my primaris intercessors at the end of the day though these are tack ops they are the secondary objectives playing the primary objectives aka going through and you know maybe blowing something up on the board or holding a zone or taking objectives those are gonna be the most important pieces to the game because ultimately whoever has the most victory points at the end of the game regardless of how you scored them you win the game so if you can this will help eke things out a little bit better and also help you possibly potentially win the game better now my top two picks that i feel like are really powerful and really good especially if you get good at playing them and you get a little bit more aggressive with your play style too is execution and route those two are easily the best ones in my opinion that you have available to you being the intercessor team the way the execution works is that you essentially reveal this um tack up at the end of whatever turn that you have killed more models than you've lost I say this is easy because if you've killed at least one model, hopefully you haven't lost one of your space marines. Otherwise, if that's the case, you're in a downhill battle and you're going to potentially lose the game. Hopefully you've killed a couple models, you know, per turn, and then you can reveal this target or this tack op. Now, I've gone a little too far off base with it, but execution, just simply put, you don't want to lose your models. You only got five models available to you already. And chances are you're probably going to be going up against other people that are fielding five models, but probably will have, more often than not, more models than you have available to you. So if you're able to kill more of their guys, and it's just each operative, it's not like the total amount of APL or anything like that, it just says, if you've killed more operatives of your opponents than they've killed of you, you get to have one victory point. And then if you score that in any other subsequent turn, then you get to get another victory point. Now, this does not stack, so if you do this turn one, you kill one model in your opponent's turn, you reveal it, you didn't lose any models, 
okay, great, you got a victory point, and you do it turn two, great, you got another victory point, you don't get another one on turn three and another one on turn four. I was playing the rule wrong back in the day, um, so I'd really recommend that you guys just keep that in mind when you're playing your games of kill team, just be sparing a little bit. And just know that you probably won't be able to hit this every single time, but don't think that you're going to kind of cheat around the corner a little bit and get yourself, you know, four different victory points off this one tack off. That's unfortunately not how it works, and unfortunately that's how I thought it worked in the past. I actually had a local tournament organizer kind of explain it to me and break it down for you. So that's why each of the bullet points are their own. It's not like you can hit those bullet points more and more and more. It's just once it's done, think that bullet point is checked off to say, yep, you've got it. Now, Route is the second attack off that I think is extremely good for Seek and Destroy. I think it's good because you have the ability to kill your opponent's models again. And chances are, if you're playing a new player, they're going to have a bad time because you're ultimately killing a lot of their people that they're keeping in their deployment zone. Now, the way that the wording of the rule works is that you have to kill the enemy operative within six inches of their deployment zone. So this one is extremely powerful because it doesn't matter where your opponent's model is going to be at. Your friendly model just has to be within six inches of that zone. So the boards are not very big. You can easily get across the board if you use a move and a dash action. And so doing route be pretty easy. And honestly, I would just reveal this bad boy on the start of your first turn because yes, your opponent's going to be like, okay, I don't want to keep all my guys back here. And for me, I, I was reading the rule wrong in the past, but as long as you have one of your models within six inches of their deployment zone and you kill one of their operatives, whether or not that operative is in their deployment zone or whether or not they're in yours, across the board, whatever, you kill them, you get yourself a victory point. And then if you achieve the first condition in um, any subsequent turning points, you get one victory point. So if you do it turn one, great. You do it again turn two, great. You've got yourself two victory points, pretty easy. Um, pretty good and pretty solid. Uh, you don't want to necessarily be using your marksman, like that's your designated marksman I was talking about earlier, to be like, hey, I've got this guy on a vantage point over here, unless he's within that six inches there. Um, yeah, it's a really good place to be looking at, pretty good board um, state, just to be using route if you can, and it's really good for aggressive players and just getting that mindset, because if you're moving up the board, you're taking objectives, chances are you're probably going to get within six inch range of your opponent's deployment zone. And it's either you get six inches or you're an entirely in their deployment zone. You're going to have a good time. Um, now, the other two, Headhunter, Challenge, those are my other like backup two that I would normally choose if I could. Headhunter is arguably better because Headhunter just means that if you kill their leader operative, um, you reveal the stack op. And once you do that, you score one victory point because you've, you've essentially incapacitated their uh, leader. Then, if it's the first or second turning point, you score another victory point. So if you're being aggressive, you're going after the leader, which they're probably going to be a little cagey, probably trying to keep them back, keep them safe, but you have three APL available to you, so you can easily move, dash, and then shoot. You can outflank their leader more often than not, so you're going to have a pretty good time at shooting them. And the cool part is, is that leaders for a lot of teams, especially like Imperial Guard, they want that leader alive for some of their special orders and their tactics. Um, Robin Ransack is by far my least favorite one out of all of these. Uh, I don't really ever choose this one because it requires you as a Primaris Intercessor to be within one inch of your opponent um, and have no other enemy operatives around them for three inches or blue square. Yeah, it's essentially just saying you have to kill them in close combat. And that's not a good one for you, honestly. 
And then finally, Deadly Marksman. It's an okay one. Um, just has the downsides. You choose one of your friendly operatives. Uh, you designate them as your marksman. And then if any of the enemy operatives are incapacitated with your friendly marksman, you get a victory point. And then if you achieve the victory condition and your marksman is still alive at the end of the battle, which is four turns, then you get another victory point. So it requires you to keep them alive, which is a little bit of a problem. If they die, you're going to lose out on victory points pretty easily. And essentially just saying, make one guy really good at shooting them. Now, if you are going to take this one, designate your stalker bolt rifle or designate your auxiliary grenade launcher with crack to be your deadly marksman because you only need to kill one enemy operative with him and then you can go hide him away for the rest of the battle and then after that you can win a victory point because you killed somebody got a victory point kept him alive the whole battle got another victory point so that's my opinion seek and destroy just easy breakdown execution route are my top two headhunter then challenge and then robin ransack and deadly marksman afterwards so let's talk about security. All right, so the final tech ops that I want to talk to you about is specifically looking at the security archetype. Now, as I stated earlier, security is primarily focused on kind of having good board position and kind of leads itself really well that if you're playing the primary objectives, you're probably going to be able to meet the uh, secondary attack op objectives for security. Now, in some cases, but not all, it is a little bit easier in some of these. So, for instance, some of my favorite attack ops from security is Seize Ground. Seize Ground just says that you have to, at the start of the battle, you pick one of the different um, heavy terrain features that is at least three inches or blue square away from your deployment zone. And that is pretty much like a different objective marker for you. As long as you can get at the end of the turning point, or the end of the battle, my bad, if the total APL of friendly operatives within one inch of that heavy terrain feature is greater than your opponent's, you score a victory point. And then if, that, um, if you have four or more APL total <clears throat> around that objective, and there are no other enemy operatives around it, then you get another victory point. Now, if you're playing a killy faction where you're gonna be killing a lot of your opponent's things, you're not really moving up the board, you guys are staying alive, but they're taking down your opponents, this is a pretty easy thing to take care of, especially if that thing's got a vantage point on it. As long as you're within one inch of it, it's a pretty solid pick for your intercessors because you only need two models and you're over that four. Matter of fact, you're at six APL. So it can be pretty easy to kind of outnumber your opponent without having to have too many models sitting on it there. Now, Hold the Line is another one of my favorites there. Um, and essentially, it has you reveal the tack op in the target reveal step of any of your phases. And um, in the end of the turning point, if there are no enemy operatives within six inches of your drop zone, you score a victory point. Now, I talked earlier with um, Route how easy it can be to get within that six inches. But if you are playing your guys smart, you're not gonna allow your opponent to get within six inches of your drop zone. You're gonna be killing a lot of them before they even get a chance to get there. So it's pretty easy to get yourself a victory point because effectively your opponent, okay, my bad. It's any turning point after the first, you get to reveal this tack up. Um, but it's still gonna be pretty easy that if you're killing your opponent's models or it's still fairly early in the game, they're not gonna have their operatives within six inches of your deployment zone. 
you achieve the first condition in any of the subsequent turning points, you get another victory point. So essentially, you just have to keep your opponent away from your drop zone, your deployment zone, um, which is pretty straight up and easy there. Now, damage limitation is a somewhat good one. Um, essentially, you reveal any of the different target reveal steps outside of the first. And if no friendly operatives are incapacitated during the turning point, you gain a victory point. And then if you meet that condition on subsequent turning point, you get another victory point. This one's really good because it's just saying, keep your guys alive for damage limitations. Really, this is, it's a stellar one, especially since you're playing the intercessors, you do not want your guys to die. Losing one space Marine is detrimental. So you already have that mindset that I don't wanna lose my guys, period. I wanna try and move, shoot, dash behind cover. I wanna try and still move with the board, go take primary objectives, but I don't want my guys to die, so I'm gonna play them smart, keep them concealed when I need to, yada, yada, yada. Damage limitations is probably, arguably, it's one of my top ones that I would choose. The other two um, is plant banner and central control. Now, central control is the easier of the two. Just simply put, all you have to say is you reveal the tack op, um, and any target reveal step, any turning point, doesn't matter. And at the end of the turning point, if the total APL of friendly operatives within three inches at the center of the battlefield, it's greater than the um, enemy operatives, you score victory points. So essentially like the first one, instead of saying, oh, well, this terrain feature, this heavy terrain feature, that is my point that I have to have more APL around. No, instead, just the center of the board, you have to have more APL around that three inch little bubble they've got there. So central control, really good. And then if you achieve the first condition on any of these subsequent turning points, you get another victory point. So it's really easy to say, you're you're doing it, get more models, just get one model sim in the middle of the battlefield and chances are your opponent, unless they're playing Space Marines too, you're gonna probably do okay. Um, Space Marines, Custodes, Grey Knights, some of those three APL teams, you might have a hard time, but chances are if you've got somebody in the middle, they probably don't want to go in the middle as well, unless they're playing like a really fighty character or something. So be careful with that one. Central Control could have a hard time against melee focused teams who want to get up in your grill, but for the most part, I feel like it's a pretty solid um, inclusion to your lists if you can go through and play the tack off. Um, and really simple too that, hey, you do it once, great. You do it again, great. You get another victory point. That's how you get your two victory points with that specific tack op. Now, Plant Banner works a little bit different. You do not reveal the tack op until your model dies. So effectively what you do is you designate one of your models to be your banner holder. Now you do this in secret. Your opponent does not know who your banner holder is, which is super nice. Um, when your guy dies, when your banner holder dies, you drop the banner. And whenever you drop the banner, that's when you reveal the tack op. Now, that little banner token that's on the battlefield, any one of your operatives can pick up the action. And so, or pick it up as an action, and then can be performed by any of the friendly operatives that you do have. So, effectively, it treat it as if it's like its own little flag, it's like capture the flag. Somebody dies, your team can pick it up and keep moving it, advancing it up the field. Now, the way it works there is at the end of the battle, if your banner token is within six inches, but not wholly within your opponent's drop zone, you get a victory point. And then at the end of the battle, if your banner is entirely in their drop zone, then you get another victory point. The cool thing with this one, plant banner, and this is why it's my number one, even though it's a little bit complicated with that whole banner play, it's my number one because you can stick it on one of your models move them up on a board and go and plant the flag 
pretty much in your opponent's drop zone. As long as your banner is there, either being held by the model or it's been dropped by the model in the deployment zone, you win two victory points. So I, I, I think it's a great one. And I think it is really good for a lot of the horde teams. Intercessors, you might have a little bit of a hard time with it because you only got five models and you're actively trying to progress your guys into your opponent's deployment zone, which can be a dangerous game to play. Similar to Route, this one might give you some trouble because if your opponent is playing cagey, they're keeping a lot more of their models back, you, you're gonna have a hard time getting your people up there. Now, as far as the banner goes, it's the battlefield. There's no, there's no um, rule for destroying the banner, and there's no rule for, um, I guess, your opponent picking up. Only friendly operatives can actually pick up the banner. So you don't necessarily have to worry. Like if you lose your banner holder guy, and he gets it at least within six inches of your opponent's drop zone, you're getting a victory point. And if you do move him up as a kamikaze sort of thing, and he dies in your opponent's deployment zone, then you've got the banner there. Your opponent can't really do anything about it, and you got yourself some extra victory points. So I do think it is probably one of my top <clears throat> favorite tack ops. I don't think it's the best necessarily, but it is really good. Now, if I were to choose these for the intercessors, if I was going to put them down and say, all right, these are the ones that I want to do, damage limitation would be my number one because I don't want my guys to die. I kind of want them there. Um, I'm already working on damage limitation. So if I have that thing pop up, that's an auto take for my intercessor team. Another one that would be really good, I feel like, is um, either central control or seize ground. I feel like with either one of those ones, it could be a pretty decent spot to be at. I would rather take central control rather than seize ground because it's a lot easier to get. You get into the middle of the battlefield, simple as that. You don't have to have heavy terrain on the battlefield. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. And it doesn't have that little clause like seize ground does that you have to have four or more APL and no enemy operatives around it. That one's got just too many clauses to make it really just go. So if I was going in between those two, which are pretty similar, central control would be the other one that I would absolutely pick up. After that, protect assets, hold the line. Um, they're kind of in between there. And Planet Banner is always a favorite for mine. But I think for your intercessor team, you're gonna have a harder time actually getting that going. So that's my that's kind of my jive about it that's my take on the security tack ops now between the two i feel like honestly i feel like security is easier than seek and destroy out of the games i've had a chance to play and out of the requirements that you have to meet i think it is a little bit easier now like i said before you're going to be doing two things. You're going to be moving up the board, taking objectives, and you're going to be killing enemy operatives. That's kind of the point of kill team. That's kind of how all of this functions all together. So either one of these are really good. And especially when you jump over to narrative play, if you haven't had a chance to listen to my narrative play um, episode, having a team that has seek and destroy and security like the intercessors gives you six different spec op missions that you have available to you that you can perform and have a pretty good shot at completing in its entirety without having to dip into other kill teams or other factions or things along those lines. And you know what, since I'm feeling generous, I'll go ahead and I'll put some pictures on the Twitter post that uh, has this episode linked to it. I will make sure um, a jam special I'm going to have the pictures for the attack ops for Seek and Destroy and for Security 2, so you guys can reference these as well. But, um, yeah, that's kind of my idea about security. Um, I think that out of the two of them, 
Seek and Destroy has got a lot of good play, but it's easy to play around. Security is easier to obtain because you don't have to rely on actually killing your opponent's models. You just have to rely on where your models are on board, how well you keep them alive, and if you can keep your opponents at bay. Be it killing them or be it just pressuring them to kind of stay away from where you're going. I really do like the sneaky shenanigans that comes with Plant Banner. Um, I think it's a really powerful attack op, and I think a lot of people should be taking it, especially if you're playing like a Horde-style army. Intercessors, it might be a little bit rough because moving one guy into their deployment zone might kill them, but with 3 APL, it's pretty easy, especially if you happen to use those good old tactical ploys like I was mentioning before. Only in death does duty in is really solid. If your model were to die, say your, say your banner holder were about to die, you pop only in death is duty in and you start marching him up the battlefield if you haven't had a chance to do so already and make sure that he gets either into your opponent's, opponent's deployment zone using a normal move and a dash or you at least get him within that six inches but that's the beautiful thing is that these things are not just a vacuum it's up to the terrain layout it's up to the armies that you are going up against as up to the different stratagems or ploys that you're using be it strategic ploys or be it tactical ploys that can really benefit you and make it really powerful so with me talking about this a little bit let's put it all together So let's wrap things up and just kind of put it together here. This episode, gone over the very basics as far as what the model breakdown is on your data slates, what the team looks like, some of the different options you can put on there, and the one that I recommend for if you're an absolute beginner, learning the game, and maybe these are the first few models you get from Warhammer, my preferred way of building a easy, easy to learn kill team. As you've probably noticed, there is still some flexibility in your list building as far as when it comes down to the equipment that you can put on them, like the auxiliary grenade launcher, crack grenades, suspensor systems, all the rest of that jazz, and also some of the different options you can put onto your Space Marine Intercessor Sergeant. Now, I'm still a big fan of rolling, running him alongside uh, the rest of the bolt rifle guys and keeping him having a bolt rifle, but if you do have you know, the money or if you have the bits laying around, I do recommend give him a power weapon or give him a chainsword or giving something that helps out with melee or close combat. And we talk about some of those different strategies that are available to you as an intercessor. You have to have the mindset that you are a gunline army, but you are able to move up the board a little bit because you do have some defensive characteristics that help you out. We talked about some of the different tactics you can use with your models as far as having a designated marksman or having your team kind of move up the board and use your move, shoot, and then dash to get back into cover using that 3 APL to the best of your ability. We talked about the different ploys, strategic ploys and tactical ploys, how only death does duty end, fantastic tactical ploy, even when as simple as how the command reroll can really work well with your space marines and when you should be saving it, and then also just in general, Volter Discipline, how powerful it is, and tactical precision as well for your team specifically. I know I really focus heavily for the specifics uh, for what's good for an Intercessor team and some of the ways that you can play them a little bit better, um, have a little bit more tactical advantage when you're going up against opponents, and how it is still kind of an uphill battle, regardless of how you kit your guys out. There are going to be other teams that are just naturally going to be better than you are. 
However, I think it's a great way that having a five-man intercessor team, you are pretty middle of the board. You're not going to have to worry about any nerfs or changes or bans going on to your team. Um, instead, when you get them, chances are probably not much is going to change over the years as kill team progresses. And if you can get good with it and become a good pilot of your kill team, you might have a fair advantage of actually standing up to some other foes, be it at a local gaming store, be it at a tournament, or maybe just with your friends around your kitchen or basement tables. Or I guess in the case of Kill Team, your coffee tables. I really did enjoy getting to put this episode together. This is probably one of the longest episodes I've ever done um, on the podcast. And uh, I just, I wanted to make sure I had enough available for you beginners that are just starting completely from scratch. You don't have like any of the rules or really kind of any mindset of how to do this. I am really still kicking back and forth the idea of just doing maybe some small YouTube shorts or something to really break down the basics for beginners. Um, but I mean, I really hope that this was something that was well worth you guys getting a chance to listen to. If you have questions, comments, concerns, heck, if you've used the Intercessor team and some of the tips that I've given you have actually helped you out with winning games or just doing a little bit better, or heck, if you have some to advise to me as well to maybe encourage other people to use, hit me up, jmspecial at gmail.com or jmspecial on Twitter. Um, that's the official podcast um, Twitter and also email. But the last little bit that I would probably really recommend that you do is if you have a chance and if you will listen to my last episode about getting started into Kill Team and you are following the tale of two chapters um, where you and a friend are sitting down and you split a box of your five-man intercessor team. I really give this episode a listen. Maybe you want to listen a couple times, or maybe you want to go back and listen to a specific part where you might be having struggles with it. I really recommend that you guys try to keep things as similar as possible because it will allow you to understand the rules that much easier. If you're using bolt rifles and your buddy's using bolt rifles, you're going to get those bolt rifle weapon profiles down pretty well. Heck, if you throw you know one auto bolt rifle and one stalker on there too, for the most part, you guys are really going to learn how these different weapons function, and it's going to give you both more of an availability to kind of see, all right, this is how things are working. But um, if you're just jumping out and you're getting out and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to try my best to go to my local gaming store and find some people that already know how to play Kill Team, just know that you might have a little bit of a hard time. And I'd really encourage you to start with some open play games to help learn the rules and keep things as simple as possible for you. But then start dipping your toe over into match play and heck, even narrative play. Because the one thing I found is that playing narrative play there's a lot more like extra things in there. If you're somebody who loves like the loot aspect of Dungeons and Dragons or other RPGs um, or RPG element games, this is something that's huge for you because even your simple intercessor team can get some really special war gear that's issued out to them and makes them so much more powerful than the base stat line intercessor team. So I really appreciate you guys sticking around, um, going through this long one with me. I know I kind of started off saying, hey, we're going to go bare bones basic, but I wanted to also make sure there was something for those intermediate and maybe even advanced players too that are just curious about my thoughts on the Intercessor Squad. So until the next time, you guys have fun rolling dice, moving your plastic miniatures around, having fun painting and uh, putting them together, and I'll see you on the next JM Special. Bye. Bye.